And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the bodacious Lisa Wolf. In this hour, it's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. From 1946, but first, it's Beat the Host. In order to beat the host, a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Jeff must correctly answer more true or false trivia questions about Barry Gibb than I. Lisa Wolf Hall is our moderator. Lisa, please say hello to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Carl. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Glad to have you with us. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, we're going to be talking about Barry Gibb, born September 1st, 1946, a uh, member of the Bee Gees with his younger brothers, fraternal twins, Robin and Maurice, and Andy when he was alive. Was Andy part of the Bee Gees? He was early on. He died when he was 30, I believe, Ugh, so um, he's been gone for a while, but yeah. uh, he was. He's. Yeah. I guess it's a genetic good genes uh, in terms of uh, music anyhow right yeah <laughs> talent in the, the genes. Bee Gees, man so this is about barry Lots of Gibb hits. and the bg so right. uh, i've got some true or false questions the first one is for you jeff in 1955 okay. barry gibb founded the rock and roll band called the pythons is that true or false wait you said 1955 yes um that's false I, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He does sound like he I'm knows what he's agree. talking about. It, it, it is false. The year is correct, 1955. The name of the band that he did found uh, was called the Rattlesnakes. And wh- so, where did he find he, it? He was nine years old? <laughs> uh, 46. Uh, yes, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> where did he find the Rattlesnakes? In his well, garden? Uh, that was the name of the band that he came up with, and it was uh, his band, and he was nine, and it was called the Rails, <laughs> Rattlesnakes, not the Pythons. <laughs> but you got it right either way. Carl, Barry Gibb was a producer and writer of the Kenny Rogers-Dolly Parton duet, We've Got Tonight. Is that true or false? Um. Yes, true. Jeff? Uh, I was going to say true, but I got to go opposite false. Awesome. It is false. Uh, <laughs> the actual song that <laughs> he was producer Carl. and writer of was Here's, Islands in the Stream. There's for Jeff. You know that song? Yeah, Islands in the Stream. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, not a good song. It's not, but that's not. You should use it for bad songs. <laughs> oh, use it for bad songs. I have songs. bad songs tonight. I didn't choose oh, yeah. that one. All right. But stay tuned later on for All bad right. songs. Sounds good. Jeff, Barry and Robin Gibb wrote Emotion for the film Saturday Night Fever, although it was not used in the movie. Is that true or false? I don't remember that song in the movie. I'm going to say that is true. It is true. It is true. That's absolutely true. 
They All wrote right. it. Wasn't, it was used on the soundtrack, yeah. but it was not used in the movie. What a waste, right? <laughs> it's a great song. It is. Carl, 1978, he appeared in the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in the role of Mark Henderson. Mm, true or false? In the movie? In the movie. All right, I'm going to say true. All right, there there was that movie. I don't know if that's what he played, though. Um, I'm going to say true. It is true. It is absolutely true. Wow. wow. This is, you guys know too much. We're pretty Jeff, smart, aren't we, Jeff? We're pretty smart. The Bee Gees album, Living Eyes, holds the title as the first album to be manufactured on CD. True or false? Hmm. That one's for me. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to say false. I'm going to go opposite and say true. It is true. Oh. It's true. Are you guys tied up here? Yeah, we're tied. All right, here's the final question. Ah. Ready, Carl? In 2002, Barry released his own single in collaboration with Michael Jackson called All In Your Name. True or false? False. Jeff? Oh. That's what I was going to say, but now I'm going to go true. That's right. It's true. Absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> here's for Carl. And here's Fantastic for Fantastic work. Wow, Jeff. I was hoping for that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Way to go, Jeff. You beat the host, my friend. Well, I'm going to send you a four-CD set of the Twilight Zone radio dramas. You are a great player. That was a great game. Thanks so much Man, for coming in. Great job, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you guys. You know it. Thank you. All right, when we come back, it's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Radio rarities. Wow, that sounds interesting. Wow, what is it, Carl? Radio rarities. And who came up with that name? Must have been somebody really smart. Yeah, must have been. And tall. Very tall. Very, very tall. Yes. And super smart. And she sure and is. And thin. And thin. <laughs> <laughs> and very handsome. Very handsome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It had to be somebody like that. It must that be. That would come up with that idea. Somebody who's really passionate about classic radio, for radio sure. Radio rarities. Wow, what is it, Lisa? I think it's exactly us, what the title implies. Tell us what it's about. These are but quit very, popping your peas, though. I'm Try to roll your peas if you can. You roll your peas. Because you're, it's bah, pop, pop, pop. Go like this, off the mic a little. Not so much right into the mic. You're popping your peas. And people are probably going, what's going on over there with Lisa? Maybe we can Wolf. have a conversation not on the air? No. No? Well, everything we talk about could be talked about on the uh, air. That's incorrect. That is absolutely not really? true. Right, so what's right I'm not. Now I'm done. Really? You're <laughs> no, leaving? You're taking your I'm going to take my Too ball bad. and I, I'm going home. I drove you here. How are that's you leaving? That's true. I'm stuck. You're stuck unless you call an Uber. <laughs> All right. So Radio Rarities <laughs> is very rare radio shows that we have uh, found. You found some and Carl Shadow and we all deliberate and talk about what makes these radio shows unique. Sometimes they have a, a star in them. Sometimes it's somebody who's filled in for the regular person. Sometimes there are errors. Uh, all sorts of reasons, pilot episodes that make these unique. And so we really break them down and talk about these radio shows and delve into the story and what makes them so really unique and special and rare. And uh, we teach that to you along with playing the actual radio show. So yeah. we have some great conversations about the show. We play the show and then we talk a little 
little bit more uh, about it again after the show. Yeah, so on Hollywood 360, we play five classic radio shows each and every week for you. And, um, you know, we give you some detail. We don't go into a lot of detail about the show, but, you know, a little history on, on it and everything. But on the radio rarities, as Lisa said, we take something that's super unique and we give you a lot of information. Carl Shadow, who is an expert on the golden age of radio, he's an archivist. He really delves into the details of that show and why it was and who starred in it and this and that. And so that's what we feature on Radio Rarity. So if you want to get the Hollywood 360 full five-hour show and the Radio Rarity show sent to you each and every week, right to your email on links that never expire, so you can listen to our weekly Hollywood 360 and our weekly Radio Rarity show every single Monday it is sent to you. And as I say, links never expire. Tune it in anytime you want. Just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com, and sign up for the Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities podcast. It all comes together. It's on one link. So we hope you'll do that. All right, we're listening uh, now to The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Now, Sherlock Holmes was perfect for radio. I mean, it was on movies and there was TV and all that, but it was perfectly suited for radio. And Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, who were simultaneously starring in a popular series of Sherlock Holmes movies for Fox and later Universal, were tapped to play Sherlock Holmes and, uh, and um, Watson on radio. And so they did for a very long time, beginning in 1939. Then Basil Rathbone left, Tom Conway took over along with uh, Nigel Bruce, and it was on the air a long time. Then there was other actors, John Stanley, Alfred Shirley, John Gielgud, Sir Ralph Richardson. Long time on the radio. I mean, we're talking the 1930s all the way to the mid-1950s. So as I say, perfectly suited for radio. And we have a broadcast for you now going back to, uh, let's see, the broadcast date is January 28th, 1946, Basil Rathbone, and Nigel Bruce star in this, as heard on Mutual. It's the case of Sweeney Todd, the demon barber. Here's part one of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine... Invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And now I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's waiting for us. Let's go enjoy. Oh, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Good evening, Doctor. All alone tonight, huh? Yes, my boy, if you can call a man alone when he's got his pipe, his books, and a glass of good port at his elbow. Take your coat off, will you, fellow, and join me. Thanks, Doctor. Help yourself to the port. There's some rather special tobacco in the jar over there. Fine. And uh, now, Doctor, are you ready to tell us tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? I am, Mr. Bartell, and I think you'll find it a most unusual story. It began on a winter's night in 1896. Holmes and I had gone to a theatre in the east end of London to see a performance of a famous old English melodrama called Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barmer of, of Fleet Street. That's a good bloodthirsty title, Doctor. 
The Demon Barber. He sounds as though he specialized in close shaves. Good gracious me, Mr. Bartell, that's, that's almost unforgivable. <laughs> he was a murderer of voracious appetite who placed his victims in a specially constructed barber's chair, cut their throats, and then pressed a lever that would swing the chair over and decamp the unfortunate victim into a horrible cellar beneath his shop. Glad this is only a stage play you're talking about, Doctor. As my story begins, we were seated in a private box watching one of the closing scenes. Holmes was leaning forward in his chair, following the action on the stage with an obvious delight. While I sat beside him equally engrossed, an actor by the name of Mark Humphreys was playing the part of Sweeney Todd, and no one could deny that he was playing it up to the hilt. Where are you going, Tobias? To the nearest magistrate, Sweeney Todd, to denounce you as a fiendish, cruel, cold-blooded murderer. You have pronounced your doom. Into the chair with you, and over and down into the depths below. Ha, 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 there. But stay, whence comes this apparition? Tis the ghost of another customer of mine. The yawning grave yields up his ghastly inmates to prove me guilt. Blood! We'll have blood! See, he is there. He comes to accuse me of his murder. Oh, save me! T'was not I that slew you. Let me leave, or it will kill me! Let me leave! Ha, 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 ha! Well, upon my soul, Holmes, that fellow Mark Humphreys is the most florid actor that I've ever seen on a stage. I find him enchanting, Watson. It seems to me he's really caught the flavor of this murderous monster piece. After all, a restrained performance of a Barber Sweeney Tart would be unthinkable. Yes, I suppose it would. But I must say his makeup seems rather overdone. No barber would wear such an enormous beard. It'd be most impractical. Probably get in the customer's faces. By the way, um, I noticed from the program that Mark Humphreys, as well as being the principal actor, is also the owner of the company. Yes, the current trend towards the actor-manager is a very healthy sign, I think. Come in. Excuse me, but is one of you gentlemen Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, I am. Oh, I was asked to give you this note, sir. Thank you. Now, who on earth knows that you're at the theatre, Holmes? You'll soon find out. Ah, this note is from Mark Humphreys, our actor-manager. What's it say? Dear Mr. Holmes, I recognize you in your box. Please come to my dressing room after the performance. My sanity, and even the safety of London, perhaps, depends on your compliance. Good Lord, my sanity and the safety of London. I wonder what on earth he means. That, my dear fellow, we can only discover by going backstage to meet him, as it is the curtains going up in the last scene I see. For a little longer, we must possess our souls in patience. Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir. Oh, my name is Lindsay, Derek Lindsay. I'm the business manager. Mr. Humphreys asked me to meet you at the stage door and take you to his dressing oh, room. Thank you very much. Uh, this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do? Oh, how are you, Doctor? Uh, will, you, uh, will you follow me, please? Excuse me asking, Mr. Lindsay, but surely you must be related to that distinguished actor of some years back, Lytton Lindsay. Uh, he was my father, Mr. Holmes. Ah, indeed. The resemblance is extraordinary. With such a heritage, Mr. Lindsay, you must love the theatre. <laughs> It'll probably sound like heresy, but I hate it. Oh, However, it's the only thing I was trained for. 
and there's good money to be made in it, sometimes, and money's a thing I both like and want. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I do hope you'll be able to help Mark Humphreys. He certainly needs it. Oh, really? What seems to be his trouble? Oh, he'll have to tell you that for himself. But his wife and I think... There's Mrs. Humphreys now. Maria! Yes, Jerry. Uh, Maria, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Mrs. Mark Humphreys. How do you do? Oh, Mr. Holmes, I'm so grateful that you're going to see Mark. He's in such a dreadful state. There have been times lately when, when Mr. Lindsay and I have been afraid he's going out of his mind, haven't we, Derry? Uh, indeed we have. We're both dreadfully worried about it. In him. that case, I hope I can be of service, which is his dressing room. Number one, next door to mine. Derek, I think it'll be better if Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson go in alone. I'm sure Mark will speak more freely if we're not in the room. I think perhaps that is a good idea, Mrs. Humphreys. We'll see you later on. Come on, fellow. That's your arm. Come in, come in. Sherlock Holmes, thank heaven you're here. Close the door. Uh, Mr. Humphreys, uh, this is Dr. Watson. Watson, eh? Yes, I, I know of you too. How do you do, sir? Sit down, won't you, gentlemen? You're wondering why I asked you to come back and see me, of course. Naturally, sir. Well, I won't beat about the bush and waste your time. I come straight to the point. I'm going mad. Oh, come now, sir. I know, come, I know. Come, it come, sounds come. fantastic, but it's true. I've often heard of actors beginning to live their parts off the stage that they play on it. Well, it's happening to me. I'm turning into another Sweeney Todd, the character I'm portraying on the stage. Are you suggesting, sir, that you're a potential murderer? Yes, I am. What reason do you have for holding that belief? Reason? Listen to this. Three times in the past week, I've wakened in the morning to find my boots covered with mud and my razor stained with blood. Great Scott. You've had no recollection of any untoward events during the night? None. Have you ever been addicted to the unfortunate habit of sleepwalking, sir? Not to my knowledge, Doctor. And if I had been, surely my wife would have told me about Your it. Your wife? Hmm. Uh, where do you live, Mr. Humphreys? We, uh, we have a flat here above the theatre. Above the theatre, eh? And Mr. Humphreys, you say that on three separate occasions on wakening in the morning, you have found a blood-stained razor and mud-covered boots. Can you show us this proof? No. No, I can't. I was always so frightened that my wife would see that I, I cleaned them before she had the opportunity of finding them. That's a great pity, sir. They would have been very valuable clues in a case like this. I couldn't risk my wife seeing evidence like that. Doctor, she'd know the truth. That at night times, while she's asleep, some devilish unconscious urge has overcome me. An urge that causes me to prowl the streets of London. Razor in hand, looking for a victim. Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. I'm certain that without knowing it, I've been committing murder, and if you don't help me, I'll go on and on. Shh, Mr. Humphreys, please. I'll undertake the case. It's a very unique assignment. In effect, I'm being engaged by a possible murderer to prove him guilty. Well, Mr. Holmes, I've been through all the records we have here at Scotland Yard. What have you found, Inspector Gregson? In the last two months, we haven't had one case of an unsolved killing with a razor. Any mysterious disappearances, Inspector? <laughs> Bless your heart, Doctor. There's never a day that passes without one or two of them. Here's a list of them, Mr. Holmes, if it's any use to you. Thanks. Come on, Watson. In the morning, we can go back to the theatre and set our friend's mind at rest. I'm much obliged to you, Gregson. Glad to be of service, Mr. Holmes.
the quintessential Sherlock Holmes, Basil Rathbone. I mean, when you think about Sherlock Holmes, that's the that's the face you see, right? Basil Rathbone, and there's a really cool picture of him. I found a really interesting black and white picture of him. I had never seen this picture before, and it's on our Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook, search Hollywood 360 Radio, and you will see, because we always post a picture of each one of the radio stars of the five shows that we air each week. And there is a really cool picture of Basil Rathbone. And he played this role for so long. I mean, he was really kind of synonymous with this character. And I think, Lisa, that's why he said, okay, I'm not doing the movies anymore. I've been doing this role for so long. I'm going to do other things. And so that's why they brought in Tom Conway um, like the next year. He he did this, I think, until about 1947. He starred as uh, Holmes on the radio, and then they brought Tom Conway in. But Nigel Bruce was like, I'm not giving up this gig. You know, this is a cool gig, man. Is that man. how he said it? Kind of yeah, I, I, get, like b- 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 I get paid a lot of money, and b- b- got to do the show once a week, b- and, you know, one rehearsal, and b- 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 you know, and so he just kept doing it. Could you stop it. rolling the bees? Yeah. I mean, it's going, buh, 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 buh. Hopping Maybe the microphone? you could stop rolling the bees like that. I don't pop my microphone because, you know, what I do is when I, I'm no, going to say a P, I turn my head slightly. It's oh. it's a skill that oh. you should try you to learn. You are very it's skilled. Skill. Apparently, I am unskilled. Well, every time you say P, you're popping the microphone. Is that right? Did you when mention that? I, I wasn't say, sure like what Peter you were saying. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. You Did you hear even one pop there? Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled it's peppers. It's a peck, but okay. Peck. It's a peck. But on your pack, it was like this. Peck. See the difference? No. Yeah. All right. When we come back, more of Sherlock Holmes. Stick around. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Have you figured out how to roll your peas and not pop the microphone yet? Have you? I mean, figured... you've only been doing this show for 15 years. Is that right? So maybe. Um, I mean, when I'll you're going to say the word, when you're going to say the uh, letter P, just kind of turn your, just do a little. You know, are Are you done yet? Turn. Because this is the third time. It's like a little you're turn, you know, like this. You know? See, now everybody has a glimpse into what I deal with doing a radio show with Carl. Right. It's, That's all I it's can say. It's absolute ecstasy every single ecstasy. weekend to be That's sitting the word I would use. from me. Ecstasy. That's exactly the word I would use. Right? Yes. Mike, what do you think? Is it ecstasy? Uh, sure. 
Sure. He's like, sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. Because you've that's taught us. That's the great Mike Costello there. How about, with... yes, sir. Yes, sir is what he meant. Yes, sir. Sure. No, I, I don't need that. I just, I just, you know, I like, I just. <sighs> You're just piece, very bossy. Pop, am I? You're very bossy. Really? If, would you say you put an adjective in front of it? Very? Very. I I'm very bossy? Yes. Because I'm asking you not to pop your peas? No, it's just all in the I approach. care about our listeners hearing this like. Yeah, I'm sure I've offended all of them. No. And I do appreciate that you keep bringing it up. So that's working well for me, too. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a skill. You can learn it. Just, okay. you know, just turn the turn your mouth a little bit this way. All right, we should actually work on it while we're on the air. Maybe we can have a little lesson. Well, we are right an now. On-air lesson. I'm trying to teach you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying to teach you something. Right. Right? You, and it's a you're very constantly, thing. You're constantly teaching me things. Right. Right? All the time. You're like saying, well, it's packed. That's packed. why I'm here to teach I you. I said, P- Peter Piper picked a pack, and you said, no, it's packed. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate that. Now I know it's packed. See? Right. I like to learn things. Okay. Just trying to help you learn. Okay, thank All right, you. we're listening to Sherlock Holmes. And who plays Sherlock Holmes in this, Lisa? Basil, or as you say, Basil Rathbone. That's right. Very good. See, I taught you that. Yes, you did. All right, let's get back to the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We examined the homicide records at Scotland Yard after leaving you last night, Mr. Humphreys. There have been no unsolved razor murders in London during the past fortnight. And therefore, I think you may rest easy on that score, sir. But it proves nothing. Remember that in the place, Sweeney Todd's victims are never found either. Yes, thanks to his singularly horrible ingenuity in disposing of them. But this is real life, Mr. Humphreys. Then how do you account for the bloodied razors and the muddied boots? Well, now, uh, are you sure that they aren't uh, just in your imagination, sir? You admit that your wife's never seen them? The whole thing could be, or shall we say... An overdose of, of Sweeney Todd? Well, I admit that I'm suffering from a surfeit of that. And why not drop the play from your repertoire? Our manager, Derek Lindsay, won't let me. It's, it's our best moneymaker, and he's always got a keen eye to business. Mr. Holmes, I can see that you still don't believe my story. So I've saved some evidence for you, evidence that I found this morning. Look at these. Now what do you say? Do you still think it's my imagination? It's got a blood-stained razor and boots covered with mud. Splendid. At last, some real clues to work on. How can you be so calm, Holmes? It happened again last night. Do you realize that I'm a murderer? I'm a menace to society? For heaven's sake, lock me up before I do some more damage. No, 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 sir. Don't get so excited. Mr. Humphreys, I should like to take these objects back to Baker Street where I can perform some chemical tests. You have no objections, I hope. Objections? Good heavens, no. Excellent. You've told no one of this fresh discovery of yours. No one. Not even Derek Lindsay. Derek Lindsay, that's your manager, isn't it? Yes, the best friend I ever had. Except for his father before him. It was Derek who helped me back on my feet two, yes, two years ago when I put on that disastrous production of Macbeth. Don't know where I'd be today if it weren't for him. You lost a great deal of money on that production, sir. Nearly every penny I had. Indeed. By the way, uh, where is your wife, Mr. Humphreys? She's in her dressing room next door. We have a matinee today, you know. I'd like a word with her. Uh, watch an old chap. Wait here for me, will you? I won't be a moment. Uh, right you are, Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. You want to talk to me, Mr. Holmes? For a moment. May I come in, Mrs. Humphreys? Well, couldn't we talk on the stage? It's empty. I should prefer to come into your dressing room, if you don't mind. What I have to say is confidential. 
Very well, then. Come in. Mr. Holmes, may I introduce Signor Vinelli, our musical director? How do you do, sir? It is a great honor to meet the so great Signor Holmes. I have so admired you. Oh, often I have envied you. Many times I say to myself, Giuseppe... Uh, Signor Vanelli, if you don't mind, I wish to speak to Mrs. Humphreys alone. Oh, I quite understand. Excuse me, Signor. Adios, cara Maria. Mr. Holmes, I'm really awfully glad of this opportunity to talk to you. Tell me truthfully, please, what's your opinion of my husband? I haven't formed a definite opinion yet. Except that it's possible that he's the victim of a fraud. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Of course not, Mr. Holmes. Has your husband ever shown evidence of being a sleepwalker? A sleepwalker? Oh, no, never. I see. Are you a light sleeper? Yes, I am. Exceptionally so. Why? Oh, I was just curious. You're being very mysterious, Mr. Holmes. Can't you tell even me what's going on? I promised your husband the answer to that question before tonight's performance. I'm afraid I can't tell you any more until then. Oh. And now may I ask a question? Oh, certainly. Though I won't promise to answer it. You said just now that my husband might be the victim of a fraud. What did you mean? Again, I'm afraid that you must wait for the specific answer to that question. However, there's another fraud being practiced on him that I can speak of now. What fraud? The fraud that you are indulging in, Mrs. Humphreys. Oh, what do you mean? Of course, this particular fraud is none of my business, but um, when I almost force my way into your dressing room and find your musical director, the quantity of rice powder on one shoulder and suggestions of rouge on his cheek, it doesn't take a great deal of intelligence to deduce that your husband is being deceived. Oh, how dare <clears throat> you? Get out of here, at once! That's exactly what I propose doing. Good day to you, madam. No doubt I shall see you later on. Well, Holmes, what does the microscope tell you about the mud on the boots and the blood stains on the razor? Drop it on a blank on the mud, old chap. It's a... It's an extremely common type to be found in most parts of London. And the blood? I'm examining that now. This is as strange a case as ever I remember, Holmes. Here you are trying to prove a man innocent when he insists that he's guilty. By George Watson! Here's the answer. What? This blood is definitely not human blood. It's probably canine. Now, a Sweeney Todd madness would hardly drive its victim to kill dogs. Therefore, it's obvious that Mark Humphreys is the victim of a devilish plot. And he's not a murderer. No, come on, old fellow. We must go to the theatre at once and give him the good news. Why doesn't he answer? Three quarters of an hour before the curtain time. Oh, it must be in his dressing room. I'll knock again. Come on, Watson, let's go in. Holmes, look. Look, he's slumped over his dressing table. Oh, I hope we're not too late. Here, give me a hand with him. We are too late. His throat's been cut. Ah, uh, poor devil. I promised him a solution to his troubles before the night was over. Little did I think that the solution would be death. Dr. Watson, what happened next? Bertel, I think I'll pick up the story exactly where I left off. Holmes and I were standing in Mark Humphrey's dressing room, looking with horror at the slashed throat of the actor-manager. 
There was a bitter, self-accusing note in Holmes's voice, as he said. I promised him a solution to his troubles before tonight was over. Little did I think that solution would be it Looks to me death. as if worry over his supposed madness has caused him to commit suicide. Suicide? Rubbish, old fellow. It's murder. But look at the razor clutched in his hand. Undoubtedly placed there by the murderer before rigor mortis had a chance to set in. In any case, scrutinize the wound. Does that look as if it had been done by the hand of a suicide? Well, I don't see why not. Look closer, old chap. The depth of the wound is even, whereas a suicide's cut always wavers towards the end. No, this is murder, Watson, and I think I know who did it. But I, uh, I have little evidence. I must lay a trap. What kind of a trap, Holmes? Huh? Time to tell you now, fellow. Every moment counts. Off with you to Scotland Guard and get Inspector Gregson. Bring him back here as fast as you can. Right you are. And Watson. Yes? Tell absolutely no one except Gregson of Mark Humphrey's death. And say that he's still alive and well and that his problems are solved. It's the performance of the play. Let me worry about that, old chap. Off with you to Scotland Yard. I'm sorry it took so long to find me, Dr. Watson. I was out on another case, you No, see. that's all right, Inspector. But the performance, if there is one, must be nearly over by now. Here's the stage door, sir. Yes, here we are. Here, here, you can't go on the stage. Who says I can't? I'm Inspector Gregson of Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, sorry, Inspector. The performance is going on. I wonder who the devil's playing Sweeney Todd. Come along, come on, let's, let's stand here in the wind. Quietly, quietly. It was only the wind whistling through this cellar. But this isn't possible. <laughs> There's Mark Humphreys on the stage. I saw him with his throat cut. I don't believe in ghosts, Doctor. Great heavens, it's... It's Holmes! like that. Who's this? Ah, it's you, Mrs. Lovett. Somebody seems to have cut your throats. What a pity. No more veal pines. Tell Sweeney Todd who cut your throat, dearie, and he'll cut their throats, too. <laughs> he'll revenge you while you burn down there in hell, dearie. He'll revenge you. <laughs> here, here he comes now, Gregson. Amazing disguise. I never recognized him. But you're both here. Holmes, and what are you up to? Surely that's apparent. I disguised myself as the dead man, hoping to force the murderer's hand. You're running a terrible risk, Mr. Holmes. Out of my profession, Gregson. Shh, shh. Here comes Signor Vanelli, the musical director. My dear fellow, I had to leave the orchestra pit to come and congratulate you. Never have you given a finer performance. Bravissimo, bravissimo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But it is true. You hardly seem the same person. Your performance... She is incomparable. Keep it up, Mark. Keep it up. I think he spotted you, Holmes. Yes, sir. I didn't like his look as he said that. Well, whoever it is, they've got to show their hand soon. The curtain's going up in the last scene. Keep your eyes open and suspect everyone. Look, my lord, judge. He's by your side. Do not whisper to him. Your ermine robe is stained with blood. <laughs> Sweeney Todd, what dark deeds presses on your conscience? Was a dark, foul deed. But heed not what you hear, Lord Judge, nor what you see. Still the figure sits there. I feared it to come to this. It is useless to deny my guilt. The very dead rise from their settlements to prove Sweeney Todd a murderer! <laughs>
actor eat a maid doctor. Yeah, that's what an actor he is, Gregson. I'll be hanged if I know how he remembers the lines, though, even if he has seen the play half a dozen times. Here he comes now. Bravo, Holmes. You did splendidly. But it didn't work, Watson. It didn't work, confound it. The murderer still hasn't tipped his hand. Have I underestimated him? Looks as if you have, sir. And if you don't mind my saying so, I think you'd have been a lot wiser to let me handle the case as soon as you found his body, instead of going in for all this uh, dressing-up stuff. Oh, but of course! Now I see it. Only one person could have killed Mark Humphreys. Who, Holmes? Do as I say, and I'll show you. I'm going to Humphreys' dressing room now, alone. Give me a few moments, start, and then follow me. Out of sight, but within earshot. Dr. Watson, why does Mr. Holmes always have to be so blooming mysterious? Why can't he just say who the murderer is and take us to him? Well, I've been with Mr. Holmes on a great many cases, Gregson, and yet I can't answer that question. Come along. He's got a big enough start now. Let's follow him. I'm very fond of Mr. Holmes, you know, Doctor, and yet there are times when I get so angry with him, he shouldn't risk his life like that. Well, you know, Mr. Holmes, he'll never change. Well, if he don't, one of these days he's going to wake up and find himself dead. Shh, shh, shh. We're at the door. There's someone inside with him. You devil, Listen. Humphreys! How many times do I have to kill you? Great Scott, it's Derek Lindsay, the business manager. Come along, Gregson. No, Lindsay! You succeeded in killing Humphreys, but you won't kill me. Grab his arm. Look out for that razor. Here, you. Uh, let go of me! No, you don't. Ah, uh, very neat, Gregson. Are you all right, Holmes? Perfectly, thanks, old chap, though I'm a little tired. Uh, Gregson, my dear fellow, will you take over from here? I think I've had enough melodrama for one day. Pleasant, Watson, to be back at Baker Street again, a crackling fire, my dressing gown, and your company combined to make a soothing ending to a somewhat violent day. Yes, it's been a most unusual case, Holmes. I still don't entirely understand it. The original plot, of course, was to try and drive Mark Humphreys mad by making him think that he was a murderer. That accounted for the boots and the bloodstained razor. Precisely, my dear fellow. And the killer, having conditioned his victim by this trickery, then murdered him, trying to make it appear a suicide. Now, who had a motive? Three people, Mrs. Humphreys, her lover, Signor Vanelli, and Derek Lindsay. I must say that I suspected the wife. Well, so did I for a while, and yet it was illogical. She knew, and we may therefore presume that her lover knew, and that I was suspicious of her. And she must have known that you promised her husband a solution to his troubles before the night was out. It seems highly improbable that she or Signor Vanelli would have faked his suicide at that point. Quite right, my dear fellow. So I investigated Derek Lindsay's affairs, and I found that what Humphreys had referred to as the kindly act of a friend in helping him back onto his feet was in reality the mortgaging of his entire theatrical effects. Lindsay stood to inherit the theater on Humphreys' death. Therefore, I was convinced that he was the killer. And then, after he'd murdered him, he saw what he thought to be Mark Humphreys on the stage. Ah, that's where I was slow and stupid, old chap. I couldn't imagine what motive gave the cold, clear nerve to suppress all reactions when he saw his supposed victim revived on the stage. Only at that moment did I realize. And what was the motive that made him hold his hand? The characteristic that ruled his life, Watson. Avarice. A morbid love of money. You see, if it attacked me during the performance, he'd have had to refund the money to the audience. His greed conquered all other passions. It made him wait until the performance was finished before he attempted my life. You know, Holmes... Now that the case is solved, I'll tell you something in, in confidence. Please do, old fellow. What is At it? At the end of the play tonight, I was afraid that you'd uh, <clears throat> made a mistake, that you'd slipped up on the case. Uh, Gregson thought so, too. And uh, I, Watson, will tell you something in confidence. Oh, what is it? 
<laughs> there were three of us that felt the same way. Well, now you're being modest, no? <laughs> I assure you I'm not, my dear chap. In fact, in the future, if it should strike you that I'm, well, getting a little overconfident of my powers or uh, perhaps uh, giving less pains to a case than it deserves, kindly whisper Sweeney Todd in my ear, will you? I shall be infinitely obliged to you. Doctor, that was a swell story. And, and a pretty narrow escape for Holmes. Yeah. He said he almost solved the case too late. Fortunately, it ended well. Mm-hmm. The thing that sticks in my mind is the fact that this was one of the very rare occasions when Holmes almost made a serious mistake. Well, we all make mistakes at times, don't we? But tell I said we, we all make mistakes at times. Mm, I suppose so. You mean to stand there and tell me that you never make a mistake? Well, not when it comes to choosing a wine, I don't, because I always choose Petri. Mr. Bartell, you trapped me again. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. But honestly, Doctor, when you choose a Petri wine, you know it's a good wine. Because good wine is the only kind of wine the Petri family makes. And it's easy to understand why when you realize that ever since they started the Petri business way back in the 1800s, the Petri family has handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the highly developed fine art of winemaking. Yes, the Petri family's been making wine for generations. That's why, no matter what type of wine you prefer, for any occasion, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, do you care to give us a clue about next week's Sherlock Holmes well, adventure? Well, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, next week now. Yes, I'm going to tell you a colorful story that took place in a Parisian circus in 1890. It concerns a, a very exalted personage, a lady bareback rider, and uh, a strange death that struck without warning. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in this Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Yellow Face. Music is by Dean Fostler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, Invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. So um, this was sponsored by Petri Wines. Do you have any um, thoughts about maybe trying Petri instead uh, of Roma? Sure, or? I have no problem with that. I mean, I just like to dabble in any red wine. I mean, because Jen, she usually uh, hauls a a giant, jug. Um, you know, jug of of Roma here every Saturday. Right. Um, what do you think about Petri? I can try to. Sure. Call. Um, Let's do it. We'll have a wine party. Petri Wine Company and see. Maybe you'll like Petri more than Roma. That's Who knows? Possible. You never know.
All right, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, January 28, 1946. The case of Sweeney Todd, the demon barber. And wasn't that like a play, too, or a it musical did, or something? Barber of Fleet Street. Yeah, and wasn't there a movie? A movie, a play. It's sure, music, all Johnny musical Depp theater. Was That's in that, right, right. He was. Thought so. <laughs> all right, hope you enjoyed that. Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, and a very good friend of mine, Harry Bartell, is the announcer there. And um, yeah, I, I uh, knew Harry Bartell very well. Um, we used to, um, whenever I'd go to uh, New York, We'd have dinner. Great guy. Just a terrific, terrific guy. And he was in a million radio shows. Just so many. Um, mostly Gunsmoke and, and Dragnet. He worked with Jack Webb a lot. Um, he's in almost every episode of, of Gunsmoke. Um, but you heard him here as an, as an announcer. I think this is the only show he did the announcing on. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. All right, time for this month in music history. And we're going back to the 1950s with a song I think you'll absolutely love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. A man same like white as a bug. I'm in love. Mm. I'm all shook up. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. My hands are shaking and my knees are weak. I can't seem to stand on my own two feet. This is a Carl song through and through. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. So this is, of course, recorded by Elvis, and it topped the U.S. Billboard in April of 1957. Stayed there for eight weeks. Wow. So what a song. Big tune. Big tune. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. More of Hollywood 360 after this short break. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Best mystery show with a twist ending was The Whistler, Lisa, and we're going to listen to The Whistler from 1948 in our next hour. We will also need a Hollywood 360 listener contestant to play Name That Tune. That's right. This must be your lucky day, Carl. Name That Tune is disco music. Oh, my. So if you are ready to give us a call at 312-642-5600, we're looking for caller number 9. And it's all disco songs. I don't have my um, my Italian horn, though, on me. I... Well, that's okay. I think you'll recognize most of these songs. We just need a great caller who absolutely loved 1970s music. 312-642-5600. We'll see you soon. Cable news, noisy, touring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. 